Good evening. It's good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday. As I was enjoying the sun, I was reminded about the passage regarding how God loves his enemies. And I was thinking about that as I was enjoying the sun. And how in the Sermon on the Mount, there is several allusions to nature. Several things that teach us about God if we observe them rightly. And tonight we'll observe or we'll discuss a couple more examples. And I want to begin by asking you guys a couple of questions. What causes you to worry? What keeps you up at night? Or or what triggers your mind to race? And tonight we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord willing, we will learn why Jesus does not want you to be anxious. Various rulers, dictators, and despots keep their subjects anxious to maximize the effectiveness of their rule. So when food and drink and clothing come from the government or some government-controlled system, then the people might be more willing to obey a particular leader's orders. See, authoritarians secure their rule through anxiety. In the 90s, uh, North Korea suffered from great starvation and poverty from what is later has been called the Great North Korean Famine. And the government uh, withheld information from the outside world, from its people. And the government also controlled all media and all agricultural food distribution. And as the country's economy collapsed, people began to die from starvation. Some people believe that 10, anywhere between 10 and 20% of their population died. And that represents about 2.5 to 3.5 million people. The leadership then there was deaf to their needs. No one heard the cries of the people. One writer says that the North Korean leaders or the North Koreans were told that they lived in paradise and that other places in the world were far worse. You see, whatever rules you controls your concerns. Whatever rules you determines how you see life and what you see as important and how you interpret what's going on around you. And bad leaders, particularly worldly leaders, secure and strengthen rule by anxiety and by illusion. But our Heavenly Father does not secure His rule nor strengthen His rule by anxiety. He relieves His people's anxieties. God does not ignore your cries. He knows and supplies your every need. And the God of the kingdom of heaven supplies uh, or cares for his subjects as a father 
cares for his children. And his rule frees us to consider the weightier spiritual matters of life. And since Brad already read uh, the passage, I just want to read two verses from Matthew chapter 6 before we begin. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. In this passage, Jesus repeats that prohibition three separate times. So this is that's very important to Jesus' argument. But then in verse 33, we have that that negative prohibition restated in a positive command. And he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, friends, tonight we're going to consider how the king of the kingdom determines the concerns of the kingdom. And doing the will of the king is the only worthy concern for the Christian. Jesus prohibits anxiety about inferior concerns, and then he directs our attention to ultimate concerns. And his prohibition in verse 25 and his command in verse 33 will shape the outline for tonight. So there's going to be two points. Point number one is titled, Unworthy Concerns. And point number two is titled, Worthy Concerns. Concerns. And I pray that Jesus would free you from anxiety. And I pray that He would free you from anxiety through your knowing of the Father's love for you and through your seeking to glorify Him in every area of life. So let's examine this passage. Point number one unworthy concerns. Now you might remember from a couple or Last week, uh, Jesus challenged his followers to store up treasures in heaven by not storing up treasures on earth. Christian generosity impressively displays the superior glory of God as master over the fleeting treasures of earth, over the transient treasures of earth, and the fleeting praise of man. And the praise of man and treasures of earth are two significant competitors for our worship. But this radical standard that he set, this this radical standard of living and giving, provides an opportunity for a third competitor for our hearts. And that competitor is anxiety. After hearing Jesus' teaching, one could ask, well, Jesus... How will I survive if I live so generously? How will I live if I don't store up things for myself? And therefore, Jesus reminds his followers who they are to God. And more importantly, who God is to them. God is a father who promises to provide for his children. So look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So everybody in this room, to some degree, experiences anxiety. Okay, anxiety is, involves feelings of worry, of nervousness, of dread. Uh, anxiety within us sort of signals to us that something isn't quite right. And there's some experiences of apprehension that can actually help people. And they help people by causing them to avoid danger. Like we tend to lock our doors at night or lock our cars when we're not around. And we do that because we're, we're trying to avoid danger. It can also help people uh, by causing people to make needed changes in their life or, or uh, avoiding some certain set of behaviors like a, a teenager who might avoid using drugs out of fear for its long-term effects. There's, there's an apprehension that can be useful to us. But this is not the, that kind of apprehension. That's not what Jesus is talking about tonight. He's talking about anxiety that, as a type of distress that assumes looming but uncertain danger. An anxiety that anticipates a future bad outcome. And there are some in this room that experience anxiety in highly disruptive ways. Uh, Some of us feel so uncomfortable, uh, so restless and nervous, so incapable of concentrating uh, that we might literally feel too distressed to go to work or to go to school. Some experiences of anxiety are visceral, and they're visceral in the sense that we feel it through our bodies. We can feel a shaking in our legs, a pit in our stomach, and the racing of our mind. And this persistent and pervasive bodily anxiety disrupts one's daily life, and that might signal something more than just average worry. And that kind of anxiety can be difficult to talk yourself out of. So it's not always uh, helpful in the moment to be told, do not be anxious. And if you experience that kind of anxiety, uh, the kind of anxiety that you experience bodily, and and it it affects your daily functioning, uh, please let me encourage you to, to talk to a family member, to talk to a pastor, to talk to a friend, um, you, you might need a specific kind of help. Now here, though, this anxiety is a kind of undue concern for the self. In some sense, Jesus has been talking about what our concerns are since the beginning of chapter 6. He said, are you concerned to please men? to win the approval of men, to win the praise of men, are you concerned about the approval of God? And then he discusses treasures. Are you concerned to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth? Or are you concerned to lay up treasures in heaven? And our temporal treasures are connected to our present experience of anxiety. And our temporal and transient treasures cause distress because they are perpetually threatened. They could, we could lose them at any moment. There's uncertain danger that could take them away from us. 
And Jesus here puts his finger on specific concerns. The specific concerns of our necessities. And he gives us strategies for dealing with those concerns. And Jesus here deals with anxiety, the type of anxiety that comes when we seek security in the things of this world. There's an anxiety that is produced in us when we remove our sense of security from our relationship to God and our sense of security into the things of this world. John Piper says that anxiety is a condition of the heart that gives rise to other sinful states of mind. So when you're anxious, for instance, about money, you could potentially be tempted to hoard something, to accumulate something. Or you could potentially be tempted to steal. It's a a condition of our heart. It's a state of our heart that gives rise to other potential sins. And we store up anxiety when we store up treasures in this world. And the, the... the real issue with anxiety is faith. If you go down to verse 30, he has this labeling comment. He says, Oh, you of little faith. The root of this kind of anxiety is a lack of faith in the Father's care and the Father's concern. It's a concern for self without any concern for God. And it believes that something somehow will escape the attention. Something somehow will escape the notice of God. And therefore, it requires our undivided attention. It requires our notice. Because he could forget about it. Or it could could slip from his attention. And I think that's why in Psalm 39, after David uh, praises the omniscience, the, all, the, the all-encompassing knowledge of God, the, the presence of God, and the power of God. He prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Know where I'm tempted to believe and trust in something for my security. Reveal that to me. So again, are are you anxious? Are you worried about anything? Or maybe a different way of asking that is, what what are the types of things that that promise you a sense of security and that you're tempted to believe? And we can get anxious about all sorts of stuff. You could get anxious about future decisions you need to make. You You can get anxious about how your job is going to function this coming month. Be anxious about facing opposition. Be anxious about your health, about getting old, about death. But believer, you need to remember that Jesus does not secure his reign through anxiety. Jesus' rule alleviates anxiety. And that kind of anxiety is not from our Lord. And so how does he tell us? How does he tell us to handle our daily concerns? 
Well, I want to suggest that he gives us at least seven seven different ways in this passage to deal with our anxieties. Seven different things to remember. Seven different things to believe. And the first thing is in verse 25. When he asks a rhetorical question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The first thing he tells us is this. Life is more than food. And life is more than clothing. Now we need to, to understand that we need to first ask ourselves, why would we worry about food and clothing in the first place? Well, one answer is pretty obvious. We can't really survive without food and clothing. You need food to survive. You need clothing to stay warm. You need clothing to protect you from nakedness. You need drink to survive. So we desire to live. We're, we're designed to live, and, and we're hardwired to do the things that will help us live. So it's understandable in some sense to get anxious about a threat to your life. But even more than that, uh, we desire a good life. We desire a long life. We desire to have a pleasurable life. And a lot of things connected to a pleasurable, long life has to do with food and clothing. You can eat the things that you like to eat and wear the nice things that you like to wear. And it's easy for us to become short-sighted and then become anxious about those things that we need. But what he's saying is, when we're anxious, we lose sight of our ultimate purpose. And our ultimate purpose is not to eat, drink, and be merry. Our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we, as Christians, are called to lay up riches in God, lay up our treasures in heaven, and to enjoy the blessed life that's been described for us in the Beatitudes. We're called to bring attention to our eternal God. We're called to to glorify our Father in heaven and bring attention to the glory of His kingdom. And when we are primarily attentive to our earthly needs, we can't bring attention to our heavenly Father. See, anxiety is like, it tries to rearrange our true hierarchy of needs. It tries to tell you what is most important and what is most necessary and what needs to occupy your thoughts and your actions more than anything else. And if we're not careful to pay attention to the types of things that make us anxious, we, can, we too can drift, kind of like when you're driving a car and you stop looking in the direction that you're driving. You can tend to drift. See, as believers, our time horizons must shift from the here and now to the coming kingdom that we're going to inherit. Life is more than food. It's more than clothing. And when I was asking myself, well, how? How how is it more than food? How is it more than clothing? Uh, I was reminded of the example of Israel in the desert. When God miraculously and powerfully redeems them out of Egypt, and he uh, brings them through the desert. And they rebel against him, so they, they stay in there 40 years. And for those 
40 years, God provided all the food and all the water that they needed. Day after day. And he would do so by uh, miraculous ways. Just bread coming down from heaven and, and water coming from rock. And God says he did this, or Moses describes God doing this to humble you, to humble the people of Israel. He says in Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That generation of Israelites was perpetually concerned about what they would eat and what they would drink, and it led them to grumble against their God. And God provided again and again all the food that they needed to teach them to trust in His promises for life. But they were too concerned about themselves and not concerned about trusting God's word, the very word of God that gave them life. See, friends, life is more than food, and life is more than clothing, because life is ultimately about our relationship with God. And as his people, we should care more about how we live than what we eat or what we wear. And that's what he's saying. So how do your daily worries cause you to forget what life is really about? Well, the second reason he gives us is in verse 26, and it's this. God values his children more than his creation. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then he asks another rhetorical question. Are you not of more value than they? Now, let me say first that birds are not lazy. All I have to do is, is watch them for a little while, and you'll see that they're just full of activity. They work for their food by searching and hunting. And watch the birds of the air. They're busy at work. And some birds go through great lengths to attract a mate. You know, they they do a lot of interesting things. They're hard at work. They're not lazy creatures. And so as Martin Luther famously put it, he said, uh, God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. So he provides the food, but he's not just dropping it into their beaks like he did for the Israelites. They work for their food. So this passage uh, is not encouraging Christians to um, abandon the ordinary means that God uses to provide for your needs. If we don't work, we don't eat. God blesses the, the process of work. But what's interesting about birds is that they don't anxiously store up treasures. They don't anxiously store up food for the future. They live day by day. And if you watch the birds, they just, they just seem to assume that the sun will come up again tomorrow 
and that God will feed them again. And Martin Luther also said, it's a great and abiding disgrace to us that a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore you are listening to an excellent preacher. And these birds preach. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father feeds us every day. Surely He will feed you. God is our Creator, but He is your Father. We are paltry creatures, but you are His precious children. We depend on His sovereign care. How much more can you depend upon it? You know, Jesus answers His own question by saying, your heavenly Father cares for the birds. He's drawing attention that the same God who feeds the birds is your heavenly Father, and He's the same God who will take care of you. So when He says, are you not of more value than they... And the answer is obvious. And he tells you to look at the birds, to learn from them. And when he tells you to look at them, he's he's saying, imitate them in this way. And dear Christian, consider what God values. In the passages right before this, uh, Jesus was talking a lot about what we value. What types of treasures are we storing up? What types of things are we, are, are we covetous? Are we generous? What God do we serve? God or money? But Jesus here is speaking about what God values. And God treasures his children. God treasures his children. If you If you, who are evil, know how to do good to your child, how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to do good to His children? Now, good parents will go to great lengths to sacrifice for their child's welfare. Well, how about Him who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all? How will He not also with Him Graciously give us all things. God treasures those who treasure his son. And Christian, you need to remember that the most important thing about you is that you are a child of God. And J.I. Packer asks, what is a Christian? And he answers, a Christian is one who has and knows God as father. That is what a Christian is. That's what makes you a Christian. You are one who knows and enjoys the special kind of love from God. The kind of love that has made you one of His children. And it's the fatherhood of God that prompts our worship. It controls our life. And it's the fatherhood of God that is meant to slay our anxiety. Because it's not just about what you value, it's also about what God values. And He values you so much more than birds. And yet He meticulously takes care of them. 
how much more would he do so for you? Well, the third reason he gives us is that anxiety accomplishes nothing. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? His point here is that anxiety is useless. You know, when I was young, I used to be uh, real anxious about how tall I was going to be. And um, that anxiety led me to measure my height frequently with a tape measure and mark it on the wall. And uh, I would convince myself that somehow uh, the mark one day was uh, higher than the mark maybe like two days prior. Um, and, you know, I would, I would look at the mirror a lot and see if I was growing taller, see if anything has changed. And you know what? I actually grew exactly as tall as the doctor said I would when I first, you know, I wasn't, I don't remember. But what my mom told me, the doctor said I would grow to. And the point is, my anxiety contributed absolutely nothing to my height. It did nothing. And see, that anxiety, you have to know this, it makes promises. It makes certain promises to you of security, of joy. It, it makes certain promises to you about a longer life. So make this your primary concern. Do this. Think about this. And you'll have security. But see, if you focus your attention or, it's, or it'll say, if you focus your attention on this and you distribute some effort here, then, then, then you'll live a blessed and happy life. But friends, anxiety is as useless as looking in the mirror and commanding your image to grow taller. It, it can't do anything. It's useless. It accomplishes nothing. In fact, all it can do is make you miserable. Anxiety tends to make you think that the future is in your own hands. But Jesus is telling us and reminding us that the future is not in our hands. The desire for a longer life, for eternal life, is a good desire. You just can't give it to yourself, though. That's the issue. You can't do it for yourself. And so he gives us the fourth reason not to be anxious. And he tells us, you will live with God forever. Don't be anxious, because you will live with God forever. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, the birds of the air preach to us, and the lilies of the field model for us. His point is that God adorns the lilies of the field with beautiful splendor. He clothes the flowers of the field, which which some fields hardly anyone can see, but he does so with greater splendor and greater color and greater beauty than Solomon himself. And these flowers don't set out to do tasks. They don't toil. They don't worry. The flowers 
and the grass, they bloom for like a day. And then he says here, they're thrown into the oven. The grass withers and the flowers fade. And their destiny is to be fuel. But the destiny of God's children is to live in his presence forever. And in in one sense, you and I have yet to blossom. We'll blossom in eternity with God. And so the question is really simple. If God gives so much attention to wildflowers that are temporary, don't you think he will take care of his children who have immortal souls? And souls that he has purchased with the precious blood of his own son? God provides everything we need to live forever. And we must remember his provision and remember his des- our destiny to fight anxiety. And so, beloved, uh, what I want to encourage you with tonight is, is to understand that the root of this kind of anxiety is a lack of faith in the fatherhood of God. And we need to fight anxiety by fighting for faith. And what kind of faith is he calling us to? He's calling us to a faith that trusts in everything God promises to be for us in Jesus Christ. That's what kind of faith he's calling you to tonight. And we can learn from nature, but we have something better than nature. We have something better than the birds and grass. We have the word of Christ We have his death and his resurrection as the demonstration and as the proof of his love for us. The flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And we live forever by standing on the word of God. And So friends, let me encourage you to read the Bible, to listen to to these sermons, to listen to to how God uh, is teaching you through his word and treasure those promises and let the word of God determine the hierarchy of your needs. And tonight, if you are here and you are not a believer, I just want to say something to you real quick. Uh, The promises that are in this section of scripture are for his children. And they're not for all of his creation, for all people in the world. And to know God as Father, you must know the Son as Savior. And the thrust of this passage is to tell you not to be anxious. But I want to tell you tonight that if you do not know Christ, you have something serious to worry about. You should be anxious. You should be anxious about meeting God, about meeting this Creator outside of His Son, Jesus Christ. For we have all sinned and we have all rejected Him as Master. And your destiny is really akin to your earthly treasures. You're going to rust and you're going to wear out. And ultimately, you'll be used for fuel in the oven. So worry, 
Let me encourage you to worry about that, to think about that, to consider that. And then as you worry, let me also encourage you to cast that worry onto Christ. Cast that worry onto Christ who made peace by his blood. God, in Christ, endured the wrath of God, the wrath for our sins on the cross in our place. And let me encourage you, let me plead with you, to consider that and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to have a peace, to have an answer for your anxiety that only He can give you. Repent of your sins and trust in Him tonight. Well, those are unworthy concerns. What are worthy concerns? So let's look at that secondly. Our worthy concerns. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What you see in this text is that Jesus gives us two Uh, further rationales, or three further rationales, really, for not being anxious. And then he gives us a positive command connected with a promise. And in in this verse, he uses the verb seek. In verse 25, he told us not to be anxious, and now here he's telling us to do something positive, to seek first the kingdom of God. And he, he uses those verbs almost interchangeably as if they were synonyms. You see, friends, what I think that teaches us is that anxiety is somewhat about what we seek first in our lives. Anxiety arises out of the types of things that we seek first in our lives. And in this text, he's telling us Christians live a distinct lifestyle because they pursue a distinct ambition. As the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer direct us, the Christian ambition is for the name of God. It's that His kingdom would come and that we would do His will. And so here we have the the fifth, sixth, and seventh reason briefly uh, here. And the fifth reason against anxiety is this. Christians shouldn't act like they don't know God. We'll get verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Friends, the world prioritizes things of the world. The treasures of the earth may grant people of earth, of the earth, a sense of security and satisfaction, but it's only the treasures of God that grant the people of God true security and satisfaction. And here Here's my point. If you're anxious about the same thing the, the world is anxious about, then you might be happy with the same things that the world is happy about. Anxiety is, is almost like functional atheism. As though we profess to know God, we act like we don't know Him. And the cure for our anxiety here is is to know God. 
And not to know him generally, but to know him intimately as Father. And he's saying, Christian, don't act like you don't know him. Don't be happy with the things that the world is happy about. And therefore, don't be anxious about the things that the world is anxious about. We have this sixth reason in verse 32. And the sixth reason is this, that the Father knows and provides all of your needs. Look at verse 32. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And that's, that's pretty self-explanatory, that the great comfort of the Christian is that our heavenly Father knows. He's aware. Nothing escapes His attention. And you never need to be concerned about that. And so, again, like I said a couple weeks ago, when we pray, we're not making God aware of our needs as if He didn't already know. When we pray, we're casting our burdens upon God that we might not be anxious about them. We're reminding ourselves that God cares for us, and therefore we can give our cares over to Him. And He knows all of our needs. Not just some of it. The the text is pointing that He knows all of our needs. And then He promises in verse 33 that all these things that we need will be added to us. And it's His promise. It's the promise of the Father that motivates our obedience. So the Father knows all of your needs and He promises to provide for them. Well then, we have the last, the seventh reason against anxiety is this. Remember that God is also the God of tomorrow. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The point here is that God will always help when help is needed. And you're not to overlook today's grace because of tomorrow's problems. God will be God tomorrow too. And the same help He gives you today, He's going to give you tomorrow. And so Christian, remember that your Father is God. And this God is God of today and He is God of tomorrow. And therefore, do not be anxious. So let's close real quickly by just looking at this positive command. The negative command was do not be anxious. But the positive command is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, fight anxiety by seeking something higher. Seeking something superior. Now I... I just I kept wondering, what does this mean to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first? And as I was meditating on this, I, the passage about Solomon came to mind. Solomon, the son of David, uh, after David's death, rose to power. And God tells him, uh, what, what do you want to ask of me? And this is, in, in Solomon... He doesn't pray for riches. He doesn't pray for power. What he prays for is understanding. And God describes his prayer request like this. He says 
And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself a long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. An understanding to discern what is right. An understanding to know how to glorify God as king and do right in his eyes. Because you have asked for that kind of understanding, behold, I now do according to your word. And I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And I think that's an example of what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's a seeking, it's a discerning of understanding what is right and what is valuable in God's eyes. It's an ultimate concern to do his will above anything else in any and every situation. Seek his will. Know him as God. And when you do that, like he did for Solomon, he gave Solomon everything he didn't ask for. Riches and power, such that no other king could compare with him. So knowing and obeying the will of God from the heart, as revealed by Jesus, is the Christian's most worthy concern. He's telling you to occupy yourself with with prayer and discerning what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, friends, let me just close by encouraging you to embrace the will of God as represented in this sermon. If you want to know the will of God, you want to know what glorifies Him, then continue to read this sermon. He reveals His will to us. And the more central Jesus' kingship becomes in our lives, the less anxiety we will experience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You that You are a glorious God who does not secure His rule by making us anxious. But you are a God who alleviates our anxieties. You are our heavenly Father. You're not just our ruler. You're our ruler who is our Father. Help us to believe that. Help us to make our relationship with you the most important concern in our life. Teach us not to be anxious, Lord, and teach us, each individual in here, how to seek your kingdom and righteousness first. In Jesus' name, amen.